This is the Relic Radio Show, old-time radio entertainment still standing the test of time from RelicRadio.com. This week on the Relic Radio Show, your hour of radio drama begins with Frontier Gentlemen. We'll hear Bell Siddons' Encore from August 24th, 1958. After that, it's Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, and their episode from January 14, 1948, titled Fang Rubies and the Black Siamese. Once again, I met a lady named Bell and learned about a gentleman named Archie McLaughlin. This taking place in Deadwood, Dakota Territory. Frontier Gentlemen. with an Englishman's account of life and death in the West. As a reporter for the London Times, he writes his colorful and unusual stories. But as a man with a gun, he lives and becomes a part of the violent years in the new territories. In just a moment, we will bring you this latest report from the Frontier Gentlemen. Throughout the week on CBS Radio, Walter Cronkite and Bill Downs report the business news. They bring you up-to-the-minute information on price trends, employment, marketing situations, and the stock market. It's information that can help consumers save money, can help businessmen make money. Join us on CBS Radio regularly, as most of the stations bring you the business news reported by Walter Cronkite or Bill Downs. Now, starring John Daner. This is the story of J.B. Kendall, Frontier Gentleman. The tent had been set up on Main Street in the heart of what is known as Deadwood's Badlands District. The last time I had seen it was two months earlier in Cheyenne. It was a gambling establishment belonging to a rather extraordinary woman who called herself Madame Birdie. To be exact, Lurleen Monte Birdie. Owing to the fact that during the war she had been a Confederate spy, she no longer used her real name, which I knew to be Belle Siddons. It was mid-morning, a comparatively quiet hour in Deadwood as I strolled toward the tent. Off to one side, I saw the wagon that had been converted into a type of omnibus, and which served as Miss Siddons' living quarters, complete with lace curtains and satin cushions. At that moment, the wagon door opened, and she stepped down. Mr. Kendall! Well... Mr. Kendall, how nice to see you Well, I'm delighted to see you, Madame Birdie. Well, I was thinking of changing to Vestal, but it's still Birdie, Mr. Ah. Kendall. Unless we're alone, then I think I'd rather you call me Belle. (laughs) Thank you. When did you arrive in Deadwood? Last night. The tent has only just gone up. And I hope you have better luck than you had in Cheyenne. Where there's gold fever, there's more than enough business for all. I don't think the gentlemen of Deadwood will object to my presence. (laughs) When will you open? Tonight. But what about you? Really, I've never expected to see you again. What have you been doing? Not much. Writing my articles, sending them to London, hoping they'll be printed. I should have thought you'd have joined the gold hunt in the Black Hills. (laughs) No, no. I'm afraid I'll never make a successful prospector. Oh, what a strange man you are. Will you come with me to the tent? Yes, of course. I want to make sure the tables are ready for tonight. Then perhaps you'll take me to breakfast. I wish you'd have some. Very good. Mm, Thank you, no. I had breakfast two hours ago. Hmm? Is that a reproach? (laughs) Not at all. I hate to get up early. I always have. As a matter of habit, it doesn't make much difference. Do you know that you've been staring at me? Hmm? Is there egg on my chin? <laughs> no, not at all. Forgive me. It's only that I've forgotten how attractive you are. One doesn't very often see an attractive woman in these parts. Well, 
I'm not sure whether to be flattered or not. You have a charming smile. It reminds me of the Mona Lisa. A little obscure. One can never be sure why she's smiling. Probably holding a pat hand. <laughs> you enjoy gambling, don't you? I don't think I ever looked at it that way. Enjoyment. I gamble because it's the most convenient way to make a good living. Oh, I think there's more to it. Curiosity isn't healthy in the West. Haven't you learned that yet, Mr. Kendall? Well, I'm a newspaper correspondent. Is that why you're interested in me? Oh, you are a lovely woman who says one thing with her lips and something altogether different with her eyes. Now, that intrigues me. Mm -hmm. All women do that. No, they don't. Not in Dakota territory. <laughs> They're a little more obvious. <laughs> you know, in some ways, you're like my husband. You at Hallett. I think I told you about him. Yes, you did. He was a very direct man. I think he would have liked you. Uh, don't turn around. There's a gentleman wearing a badge coming over to the table. Huh? Morning. Good morning. Name is Boone May. I'm a peace officer here in Deadwood. I take it you're Madame Bertie, ma'am? That's right. Mind if I sit down a minute? Not at all. Thank you. You're that newspaper man, uh, Kendall, ain't you? Yes. Hey, you was pointed out that's how I knew, Savvy. Well, ma'am, I seen the posters your boy's been putting up around town went over to your establishment. They said where I'd find you. It isn't against the law, is it? I mean, putting up posters? Oh, shucks, no, ma'am. I, I just figured I wanted to get acquainted, is all. That's very friendly. Don't you think so, Madam Verdi? Very. Well, now, I'm a real friendly fellow, madam. Always like to know who's new to Deadwood. Uh, of course, seeing you and all, I'm kind of surprised that a lady sets up business in the Badlands. That's the roughest territory in town. You know that? I'm not a lady, Mr. May. I'm a gambler. I was told that my situation is the best corner on Main Street. That's why I took it. I'm paying a very high rent. I hope that I haven't been misled. Well, now, ma'am, if it's business you want and you don't care who gives it to you, you'll do fine. I thought you ought to know, though, that uh, there's some pretty mean boys will be visiting you. That's where they go, to the Badlands. Then I hope they'll become patrons. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I reckon I'll be coming around tonight, kind of see everything gets off to a good start. I shall look forward to seeing you, Mr. May. Yeah. Well, that's good, because I got a feeling uh, you being a woman and all, well, you might need some protection. Now, if I can help, you just give a holler here. I'll be there. You're very kind. So long, ma'am. Mr. Kendall. Mr. May. Now, I wonder why. Why? What did he really want? Did you hear? I'm a woman. He wants to protect me. You don't believe that? No. Do you think he knows about you being Bell Siddons? Possibly somebody from Cheyenne has brought word? It's possible, but I don't think so. <laughs> I hope not. I want to stay open for a few nights before they throw me out of Deadwood. If you don't mind, I'd rather like to come tonight. It'll be worth seeing how Deadwood reacts to Madame Verdi. With all the important decisions which face the nation these days, it's a good thing to become as familiar as possible with the men in industry and government who influence the policies which shape our lives. Every Sunday, CBS Radio calls on these leaders to face the nation, and veteran CBS News reporters call on them to answer questions and frankly discuss the issues of today. Democracy depends for its life on your keeping well informed. To be well informed and to keep that way... Listen every Sunday to Face the Nation on most of these same stations. Deadwood's reception of Madame Verdi will long be remembered. She stood on a board, 
was carried through the entire town on the shoulders of four strapping miners. It was a precarious balance, yet she contrived to appear quite regal and an extraordinary woman. The tent was open for business and immediately became filled to overflowing. Belle took her seat at the 21 table and was besieged by a crowd of men willing, anxious to lose their fortunes to the gently smiling dealer. I was standing at the bar drinking a beer when I felt a tap on my shoulder. It was Boone May. Hey, uh, come on out a minute. I want a word with you. All right. Some crowd, huh? <laughs> hey, Mr. Kendall, are you a good friend of the madam? I knew her in Cheyenne. I'd say we're a fairly good friend. You want to do her a favor? It depends. And tell her to play it straight. She can stay in Deadwood. I'm not sure I understand. Well, now I'll tell you. You see, me and my boys, our job is to watch out for the gold shipments. Now, you take some of them stage drivers and shotgun boys guarding the gold, they get a drink too many in them, and, well, they like to maybe talk some too much. Savvy? No. Well, like maybe when a gold shipment's due to pull out of Deadwood. Well... Suppose that talk gets in the madam's pretty ear. Suppose she passes it along to somebody. Suppose somebody holds up a stagecoach carrying a box full of gold, Sammy. I think so. There's fellas in that tent right now, a dozen or better. Bad medicine. I've seen them watching us, figuring the odds. Johnny Bull Collins, Laughing Sam, C.C. Clifton, Archie McLaughlin. They'd make it worth her while to talk turkey at the right time. Maybe a split on the tape. Oh, now I see what you mean. And you want me to tell her not to do business with these chaps? That's what I mean. Couldn't you have told her the same thing? I could. I reckon coming from you would mean a sight more. But why? Oh, mister. I've seen the way she looks at you. And when a female gets soft in the eyes, she'll listen to one man more than another. She'll listen to you. The way she looks... <laughs> no, my friend. I'm afraid you're mistaken. Say, I'm willing to make a proposition. You tell her, see. Any of that wild bunch try to deal her in on a holdup. If she gets the word to me first, I'll see she ain't forgotten. That company's setting out the gold to take care of her. Sally. I savvy, but I'm not your man. How come? I don't know her the way you think I do. <laughs> You're quite wrong about her feelings for me. Mm. Mister, mm. you couldn't teach a setting hand to cluck. Very possible. But if you have business to discuss with her, I suggest that you do it yourself. I left the peace officer, Boone May, and went back to my hotel. My next two weeks were taken up with the story of a fabulous gold strike located a few miles from Deadwood. I didn't see Madame Verdi again until the evening of my return. I was in my hotel room sorting some notes. Evening. May I come in? Yes, of course. Won't you sit down? I was afraid you might have left for good. No, I went up into the hills. There's been a new strike. I heard about it. Why didn't you come back that night? I saw you go out with Boone May. I was tired. Oh. He talked to me, you know. Did he? Wanted to make a deal. Seems that certain information in Deadwood is worth a lot of money to both sides. The gold shipments? Yes. It's amazing what a man gives away when he's drunk. Well, have you made any deals on either side? Not yet. I wanted to talk to you first. Why? Because you're the only man I've wanted to talk to since my husband died. Money means a great deal to you, doesn't it? Yes. 
Yes. I've never considered living without it. Or with less of it? You sound like a preacher, Mr. Kendall. <laughs> Do I? What difference does it make whether I deal with McLaughlin or Boone May or both? The road agent, Archie McLaughlin? Yes. He's offered me quite a lot. Mm, a little dangerous, isn't it? Telling me, I mean. No, I trust you. You'd tell McLaughlin when a gold shipment's leaving Deadwood. And you tell Boone May that McLaughlin's going to hold up the stage. I have a feeling that one or the other is going to resent it. <laughs> you have a very funny way of putting things, Mr. Kendall. Why don't you tell me your first name? It's Jeremy. Jeremy Bryan. They're nice names. But you make them sound so very correct. Just as you are, Mr. Kendall. <laughs> I'm sorry. If I asked you to come with me, join my establishment, what would you say? I'm not a particularly good gambler. I could teach you. If I were to ask you to leave your establishment, come with me, what would you say? <laughs> You're a most impractical man. I should be quite happy with you for about a month. And I'd leave you because we'd be much too poor. I was kicked out of the army because I was impractical. In a way, it was a very good thing. Why? Because I refused to testify in a court-martial proceeding against an officer I barely knew. Well, they were stupid. Not at all. The man was innocent. In Cheyenne, you said there was a woman in England. There was. Uh, she was part of it all. You're much too principled for me. <laughs> I don't think so. Why did you kiss me? I wanted to see if you'd stop smiling. I'm not smiling. The fastest runner in town can't hope to keep up with the Mitch Miller Show... Because every Sunday night, when it comes your way on most of these same stations, the Mitch Miller Show covers that part of the entertainment world that stretches from the bright lights of Broadway to the Klieg lights of Hollywood. For another all-out, all-star variety edition of the Mitch Miller Show, join us right here at the Star's Address when Mitch Miller puts out the welcome mat again. <laughs> After I took her back to the gambling tent in the Badlands, I went to have dinner. What I didn't know then was that at about the same time, two men were riding up to an abandoned shanty in the timber near Deadwood. One of the riders was Billy Mansfield, the other Alexander Caswell. Both were heavily armed. They went into the shanty. A third man was inside waiting for them. He was Archie McLaughlin. How come you're late? We didn't get your message till a short while back. Where's the others? Johnny, Jack Smith. They'll be here, Billy. We making a raid? Yeah. There's a stage to Rapid City tomorrow. She's carrying a box of gold. How much? I don't know, but it'll be worth it. <laughs> that calico queen of yours, she's <laughs> sure the... Hey, you shut your mouth, Caswell. She ain't no calico queen. Madam Verdi's a lady, and don't you forget it. Sure, I didn't mean nothing. You didn't mean nothing, Arch. It don't matter. Besides, I didn't get this from her. Johnny Brown heard a shotgun rider talking about it down at Maggie's saloon. Where are we going to take it, Arch? Well, I figure we'll take the coach and whoop up Canyon between here and Rapid City. Well, I know where that is. That's a fine place for it, Arch. We can ride right down before they know what's happening. No sense going back to Deadwood now. Better if nobody sees us till after the job's done. We'll hole up here tonight. <laughs> Nice to see you back, Kendall. Make yourself comfortable. Say, I uh, hope you didn't mind me interrupting your dinner. I'll mind less when you tell me why you did. I uh, hear you've been up in the hills. Look here, May. I got a message to come to your office. You said it was important. Let's get to the point. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> Have you seen Madame Verdi tonight? 
Is that why you asked me to come here? No. no. Of course, I know you've seen her. Uh, she was up to your hotel. You seem to know everything that happens in Deadwood. That's my business. Well? She'd tell you about our deal. She mentioned it. She'd tell you about McLaughlin? No. Uh, no. I guess she wouldn't. Uh, since you've been gone, them two is quite a something in Deadwood. What do you mean? Well, I guess you ain't here. That night she opened uh, right after you left. Archie McLaughlin got to playing 21 with her. I guess he wasn't up to keeping his mind on the cards because he lost his last dollar. Uh, he's a good-looking young cuss, and I seen her give him a little extra smile. It was kind of late. She offered to stake him to breakfast. I'm not particularly interested in all this. I reckon you will be. Now, Archie thanks her real polite and says he's about due for a turn of luck, and when it comes his way, he'll come back and buy her breakfast. A few days later, he does come back, and he's got his pockets full of gold. They went out for breakfast. Been going out ever since. Go on. Now, Madam Verde, she knows for sure who he is and what he is. Ain't no mistake about that. I'm figuring she didn't take my advice about making deals with those boys, Savvy. Especially McLaughlin. Well, what's all this got to do with me? You didn't know about them. No. Listen, Kendall. I'm a peace officer. It's same as any other job, except more so, maybe. I got to know what goes on, Savvy. Well, she's told me a stage is going to be robbed tomorrow night somewhere twixt here and Rapid City. She say anything about that to you? No, 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 no. Why should she? I don't know. Is that all? <clears throat> I reckon you know now she's uh, sweet on McLaughlin, don't you? <laughs> Good night, Mr. May. She says she don't know uh, who's going to do the holdup. Now, if she's double-crossing me, you tell her. Bell, over here. Well, I've just seen Boone May. He suggests that you don't double-cross him. I think he's talking about McLaughlin. He told you? About Archie? About me? Yes. I suppose I should apologize to no, him. There's no need to. But if you really care about him, I think you'd better start playing straight with Boone May. What do you mean? The hold-up you told him about. He suspects something. What? I don't know. Perhaps that you and McLaughlin are working together. <laughs> no, that's not so. I don't know who's doing the hold-up, but it isn't Arch. He would have told me. <laughs> Honor among thieves. You know, if Mr. Maine knew what you were doing... He'd probably have me hanged. Why'd you come here to warn me? Why shouldn't I? I'll be writing about you. Oh. Well, there's one thing I'd like to know. Are you very much in love with McLaughlin? I don't know. Perhaps in a way that doesn't mean anything to you. I can't explain. Just be careful. I have to get back to my table now. There's money waiting to be won. The following night, I accompanied Boone May on the stagecoach carrying $20,000 in gold bound for Rapid City. With us were five special deputies. What happened when we were stopped by McLaughlin and his men, I shall report in my next dispatch to the London Times. Frontier Gentlemen was written, produced, and directed by Anthony Ellis and stars John Daner as J.B. Kendall. Featured in the cast were Gene Lansworth, Jack Crucian, Vic Perrin, Harry Bartell, and Jack Moyles. again next week for another report from the Frontier Gentleman. Bud Sewell speaking.
Dog entry, the catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, master. Position, 12 degrees, 12 minutes south, 130 degrees, 4 minutes west. Wind fresh, sky fair. Remarks, cleared Darwin, Australia after altercation in Bonnock Hotel. Reason for incident, the Fang Rubies and the Black Siamese. Darwin for three days, unloading the stuff we'd brought in from Port Moresby and taking on a cargo for Singapore. My chief mate Gallagher and my crew were in town, spending a few well-earned hours of shore leave. I was alone on the forward deck. I'd been watching the busy lighters wallowing between the shore and the merchantmen who were anchored in the stream. And I started toward the cabin. I got to the shoreward rail and time to see a man hurrying along the dock. He was carrying a black cat in his arms. He looked back over his shoulder at the schooner on our stern. Then, just before he reached our gangway, tossed the cat aboard. It landed lightly on its feet about two yards from me. As bad as the act was, the guy carried it through. Fever! Here, Fever! Come here! Oh, my Siamese seems to jump aboard your ship. I you come aboard after him. I saw how he came aboard. I'll toss him back to you. I'm sorry, but I have to come aboard after him. He started to cross the gangway. <laughs> second shot caught him and slammed him into the guardrail. He careened off of it and hit the deck in front of me. By instinct, I headed for cover and waited for more shots. I didn't think I... I didn't think... After a few seconds, I moved over to him. Can you... Can you hide me? Sure. Sure, I'll hide you. And don't let my sister know. Until I feel better. Yeah, all right. Until I... 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 I looked back at the schooner. Her crew had cut her mooring. She was moving away from the dock. And I was left with a dead man and a black Siamese that looked up at me with motionless yellow eyes. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tolman, and starring Elliot Lewis. Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. Criminal Investigation Department. Captain Carney? Oh, yeah. We're much obliged to you for notifying us of this incident. That's all right. We were obliged that you didn't give him the heave-ho into the water, which is becoming a habit in this part of the city. Well, well. Ah, so you've been shot, have you, Chappie? Hmm. You're a bit of a mess, aren't you, Chappie? I haven't touched him except to put the sailcloth over him. Well, now, let's, uh... Ah, you've got a pocketbook, eh? Well, we'll have a look at that. Carol Scott Blakely Square, Canberra. That's better. Um, Ashenden? Yes, sir. Got him off, Ashenden? Yes, sir. Now, Captain, suppose you give me your version of the incident in chronological order. I don't have much of a version, Inspector. He came along the dock from the stern of my ship carrying a black Siamese. He tossed the cat aboard, then pretended it had jumped, and then he was chasing it. And that's the cat. He's been sitting there ever since. Ah, that's an odd one. The guy got halfway across the gangway. Somebody on the schooner got him with a rifle. Uh, tell me, what was the name, registry, description of said schooner, and in what direction did she proceed? What? Well, I don't know her name or registry. She's gaff-rigged, painted gray above the waterline between... 50 and 60 feet overall. She hugged the shore after she left here. I lost her behind the warehouse there in the point. Well, the idea is obliged to you, Captain. Mm-hmm. Of course, since you're an eyewitness to the crime, you will remain in Darwin and keep the department notified. Oh, not a chance, Inspector. I got a time contract on this cargo we're doing Singapore. Then I shall have to station CID guards upon your ship to prevent you sailing. Why don't you take your CID guards? I'll have the guards here in a jiffy, Captain. Hey! Hey! The cat! The least you can do is take them. A gift to you, Captain, from the department. Thanks! I went into the cabin, put a bottle and glass on my desk, and between a couple of drinks, entered the incident in the log. When I stood up and turned around, 
the cat was just inside the passageway. He followed me in and he sat there looking at my face. The devil you want? Can't you do anything but sit there and stare? Ooh, you're in a lot of company, you are. Yeah. Hey, get off of that bunk. Who do you think you are anyway? Come on, get off and stay there. He tossed me a quick look after I pushed him to the deck, twisted around, and with his tongue washed the place where I touched him. Then he jumped back on the bunk. After three more tries, I gave up and he went to sleep on my pillow. After a few more drinks, I gave up again. The CID men had arrived to guard the queen and everything aboard was secure. So I packed some personal gear for sure. Flipped a coin to decide whether I'd take the cat or leave him. Tails, so I picked him up and went ashore. I finally found a safe-looking pet shop that would board the cat. And with Siva in tender hands, I rode a bus to the middle of town. I located a room at the Queensland house, checked in, and after reporting my address to the CID, had dinner and went to my room. I stretched out on the first double bed I'd seen in months. I must have dozed off, because it took me a while to realize that the sound I heard was a knock on my door. Yeah. Who is it? Uh, yeah, all right, wait a minute. Yeah, what? Hello. Are you Philip Carney? That's right. I've been to the police. They told me where you were. Hmm? I'm Paula Scott. Harold Scott was my brother. Oh. Well, you want to come in? Yes, thank you. I'm... I'm sorry about your brother. Thank you. You were with him, weren't you? With... Well, for a few minutes. Well, I don't think it was bad. The way he went, I mean, things like that just sound as though they're awful rough. You're telling the truth, aren't you? Yes, I am. If it helps any, and I don't suppose it does, he, he didn't even know he was going. He just stopped talking. What was he talking about? About getting well. Oh. I'm glad to know that. Yeah. What else did he say? See, I've got to know. It isn't one of those masochistic things. I've just got to know. Why don't you sit down? All right, thank you. I'm sorry, there's no place for you. Oh, yeah, one chair room. I use the bed. Uh, well, there wasn't much said because there wasn't much time. He he wanted me to hide him, and he didn't want me to let you know him until he got better. That was all. The police told me you have Siva. The cat? Yeah, I put him in a pet shop where he'll get good care. I think. Mr. Carney, I want to talk to you. I I know why Harold was killed. And I know who killed him. Did you tell the police? No. Why not? Because I want to stay alive. There are two of them. If the police go to one, the other will come after me. You want to tell me? Yes, he's... His name is Hugo Cashin. He's my uncle. And he has a horrible little creature with him, Mel Ferris. Have you ever heard of the Cashin interest? Well, harbors and anchorages are the only things I know about in Australia. They were built by Leland Cashin. Hmm? Mining, sheep, contracting, shipping, everything else that makes money, I guess. Leland, he's your uncle, too. He was. He was killed in a motor accident near Canberra two weeks ago, leaving Harold and me the entire state. Hmm? Hugo Cashin is alive. When we die, it goes to him. There's only one left to outlive now. Look, uh, I don't like despairing women. Do you want me to try and help you? That isn't right. Never mind why you came. If you want me to help you, act normal. Cry, pull your hair, get drunk, do something. Don't sit there looking as patient as one of your estate sheep. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I want you to help me. All right. Somebody should have taught you to cry when you were young. You'd feel better. I can't help it. Sure. You learned early not to let your feelings show. You want anything to eat? No, I... Well, go on in and wash your face and comb your hair. I'll have dinner set up. I figured it would take a lifetime to make her unbend and get rid of some of that reserve and some of that self-control that was tying her up in knots inside. Well, a few drinks before she ate and a few more afterward made a good start. Captain Carney, how did you know so much about me so soon after you met me? Well, you're a pretty obvious little girl. Oh, dear, I am not. I did you. You're quite right, you know. Well, 
You carry a very active kind of magic around with you. You're afraid of it and the reaction it has on guys like me, so you've developed a fine, icy attitude to hide that rare emotion. Oh, you make me sound... Well... Conceited? I'm not, really. <laughs> I wonder what it is. I'm certainly not beautiful. Nobody's ever told me I'm beautiful and really meant it just like that. Well, just be patient. You'll get old and crotchety someday, and you won't have a thing to worry about. Oh, a little while ago, I didn't think I'd get much older. Hmm. You know something? I... I haven't felt this way for... Seems like forever. I mean, of course, about not being afraid of Hugo and Mel. Yeah. I suppose it's because I don't feel quite so alone now. Well, that's good. Uh, tell me, did Hugo and Merle keep you shadowed? Would they check the hotel register? I'm sure they would. Well, then they know you're here. They... But how? Because I took a room for you in your name when I ordered dinner. It's down the other end of the hall. Well, Captain, now, I wait can't a minute, stay. wait a minute. I'm going to stay in that room. You're going to stay here. I changed the registration of this room, too. Under the name of a very dear friend of mine on the police force, Inspector Tompkins. Oh, but they'll come to that room. I know they will. Well, that seems to be the best way to contact. But I really... Here's the key to this room. Leave the key in after you've locked the door. Jam one of your hairpins in with it. Yes. Yes, all right, Captain. Swap. Uh, going to go now? Well, yeah, it's getting late. I see. I don't think I want you to go. Well, I've got to. He'll be all right. What for? I just want... I... Now, look. If I don't have some news for you tonight, I'll see you in the morning. Uh, keep your door locked. Yes, all right. Good night. Good night, Captain. to make the room look lived in to anyone cracking the door slowly to come in. It was 11.30 when I turned out the lights and settled down to wait. The building was quiet, but the restless throb of the city came through. Now and then a deep-throated call from the harbor. I'd looked at my watch at 1.15 a.m., and it couldn't have been ten minutes later that I caught a sound so faint that I felt it rather than heard it. Then I waited for the key to be pushed out of the lock. Besides that knife. You go well healed, don't you? 25 caliber. You must be a marksman, huh? Playing with that small caliber? Now, service automatic. That one I'll keep. Any more? I go. I go. That's all. Now get your leg up. That's for lying to me. Give me the leg again. Throwing knife. You do that too, huh? You're a regular blasted artillery battalion, aren't you? Any more? Oh. Ain't right, anymore. Lay go. All right, soon as I get you safe in that corner. No, lay off. No. Now stay there. Don't worry. And I get up. Just a punk kid, aren't you? How old are you? Old enough to get stupid. You sound like stateside. Yeah, tell them when you see him to cancel the time I got coming, I'll go back. You're Merle Ferris, huh? What'd you come up here for? Look, Ferris, talk or I'll start sea booting around this room until you do. Goddamn, that cat. What makes you think she's got the cat? Somebody's got it. She's got the rest of the stuff they took in with her brother's body. I got the cat. Uh, you'd have money in the bank if you did. Huh? What makes the cat so hot? What's the difference? If you got it, cash and will give you enough for it so you can hire guys like me for you to knock around. That sounds good. Come on, get up. Where is cash? At? A hotel, four or five blocks down. Hey, are you getting me my stuff back? 
You and me will get along all right now. You go like you are, and I'll keep the 45. Then I know we'll get along. Will Cash and store be locked? If he ain't standing in it, it will be. Then I'll do the knocking. What's the matter? You jumpy? Mm-hmm. Just careful. <laughs> you think we got knocking signals like schoolboys? <laughs> you read too much. Yeah. It's me, Mr. Cashin. All right, get over here in front of me. Move in first. Here, move. What's this, eh? If you don't like it, run your own errands from now on. Now, both of you stay in the middle of the room. Perhaps if I understood, young man. He got the cat. Scott gave it to him. So, Paula didn't get it. Well, young man, you and I must reach an agreement at once. I will pay you fabulously for the Black Sarmies. I'll have to know why you want them before I sell. Uh, certainly. With that cat in my possession, young man, I will prove that Paula Scott is guilty of murdering my brother, Leland Cushion. Are you nuts? Well, that cat's a valuable bit of evidence. With him and with him only, we can prove that Leland was killed, not in a motor accident, as is believed, but cold-bloodedly in his home by that girl and the deceased brother, see? And the cat will clear everything up, huh? The cat, together with a certain document which Leland was carrying at the time he was killed, see? Where is a certain document? Well, Paula has it hidden. But for the cat in our possession, we'll route it out and her with it. Okay. I'll make a deal with you. I'll be back here with the cat in an hour and a half. My first stop was the pet shop where I parked Siva. I banged on the door until I aroused the sleepy owner, apologized the same, and retrieved the black Siamese. Then I headed for the Queensland house. Paula? Paula? It's Phil. Just a minute. I'll be right there. Captain, nothing wrong? And Siva? Yeah, here's the cat. I didn't know you were going to bring him here. Why did you lie to me, Paula? I didn't mean... Is it all an act? Well, you can't mean that. What's the real story about your uncle's death? I see. You've seen Hugo Cashin. That's it. You see, I didn't know what to tell you. What if it was murder? What good would it do to have it all stirred up again? It depends on who did the murdering. What do you mean? Who killed him, Paula? Why, Hugo Cashin and Mel Ferris. I... Oh, it really hurts me to tell you this. My brother was involved, yes, he... He didn't do the actual killing. But after it was over, he was the one who pushed the car and the body off of Cumber Hills. He found some evidence in Uncle Leland's breast pocket that would prove murder, no matter how hard they tried to hide it. I want to see that evidence. Cashin told me it would prove that you and your brother committed a murder. He's lying. All right, what's the evidence? Part of it is the cat. The other part is in my handbag. Yeah? Here it is. Here, it's... It's the pedigree Uncle Leland was carrying in his pocket. And see? The bullet hole? The piece of folded paper she handed me would have fit tightly into a legal-sized envelope. The bullet hole was roughly in the middle. The angular pedigree lines traced Siva's family back to an ancestor living early in the 1700s. At the top, there were four photographs of Siva. One of them showed him with his mouth open in a yawn. You could see two tiny dark stones that were set one in each of his upper fangs. She put the cat in her lap and opened his mouth. There. She, you see? There are the fang rubies that show up in the photograph. Oh, yeah. It's the mark of the Pasha line of Siamese. Since Siva's the only one outside of the Asiatic continent, this pedigree chart can't belong to anyone but him. Well, it doesn't prove much yet. Could have been my cat. No, 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 no it couldn't. Couldn't belong to anyone in the world but Uncle Leland. He was a member of the International Cat Fanciers Club. Mm-hmm. Their system of identification is legally recognized everywhere. Look here. Here on Siva's left side, right here. Part the fur, you can see a mark on the skin. Puss. Yeah, a tattoo. Yes, done when he was a kitten. To identify him as Leland Cashin's in any court in the world. I guess that's good evidence, but I don't get this. How does it prove murder? Don't you see? The tattoo proves that Siva belonged to Uncle Leland. His pictures prove that the pedigree is Siva's. Therefore, the bullet hole in the pedigree papers prove that Uncle Leland was shot and not killed in a motor accident. Now I got it. I've kept the pedigree. My brother was hiding Siva aboard a ship in the harbor. I suppose Hugo found out he was there. My brother was trying to escape onto your ship when... when they shot him. Hmm. Anybody get dressed, Paul? 
Where are we going, Captain? Get these two stories together. You don't know whether to believe me or not, do you? Your cat and your rubies and charts still haven't proved anything but murder. They haven't proved who did the murder. Yes, I know. What can I do, Captain? You can call the police. Call them and tell them to meet us in room 12, Bono Hotel, in 45 minutes. I'll go find a car we can hire and meet you downstairs. A few minutes later, Paula, Siva, and I were riding to the Bono Hotel in silence. the cat when we got there, and I pushed her behind me as we climbed the stairs. When I motioned her to a stop at the door, I wasn't quite sure what I'd do inside if she were guilty. It was 35 minutes after she had or had not called the police that I rapped on the door of Hugo Cashin's room. Who is it? Carney. Come in, Captain. He's brought the Scott thing. Paula. Go back in the room. Merle, get over in the corner. Stay there. Don't worry about me, tough guy. <laughs> Captain, I'm disappointed in you. Why? Well, this was to be an arrangement strictly between us. If I'd known that you were as untrustworthy as to bring Paul to interfere with... I'm not interfering, Hugo. Look, Cashin, we've got the cat here. That's what you wanted. I've heard the same story from both you and Miss Scott. It was good both times. Now, what has this girl been saying? I told her to call the police and tell them to meet us here. I don't know whether she did or not. What do you think, Cashin? She'd be a fool, sir. If she's guilty, I guess you're right. Here, Cashin, you can have the same deal. If she didn't call him, you'd just as soon, wouldn't you? Your call, please. Well, Cashin? Your call, please. Cashin, you're not going to let him call the cops. Why not? They can prove nothing. Your call, please. Give me the police. They can prove nothing. With my record, I'm not sitting in no jail cell while they sweat the truth out of you. All right, get the cat and come on. No, 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 stay away. Cashin! Bill, he's taking Siva. He'll kill him. Oh, you there! Stop! Fire action! Then stop those men! Oh, Captain Carney! Come on, let's get out of here. Oh, Captain! There you are! Yeah. I thought you'd be here about when I saw those blighters making off with your cat. They wouldn't stop. I had to wing them. Yes. But the cat is unharmed now. Here you are, with the respects of the CID. Well, thanks, Inspector. Uh, did the scoundrels try to steal anything else, Captain? Look, Inspector, this wasn't a robbery. The men you nailed committed that murder on my ship yesterday. Oh, well, the, uh, the department is Johnny on the spot, you might say. The uh, summons we got was from some poor lady sobbing into the telephone. What? Well, cheerio. Yeah, see. Paula, that was you? Wasting some of that rare emotion on a telephone? Of course not, Captain. Captain, the Inspector must have been mistaken, Yes, my, it must have been a, a bad connection. Oh, no, come on now. Now you're overdoing it. There. No, it'll be all right. I'm sorry. No, you're a big girl with an estate now. Everything's making money for oh, you. No, I, I don't care about the money. It's you. If, if you could manage to stay. I can't stay, gorgeous. I got a cargo aboard on a time contract. I got to get it to Singapore. Hey, here's your cat. Yes, of course. Thank you. Yes, I understand. You have a commitment. And you'd rather go on your ship than stay? No, it's nothing. It's nothing personal, Paula. And I'll, I'll make you a promise. If I ever settle down on an estate in Australia... It'll be yours. Two hours later, using the first faint light and the first fresh breeze of dawn, we stood out into the harbor. Numb sailors that stumbled to their stations and groped for the halyards. It was hard to tell what was in their eyes outside of exhaustion as they watched the city lights take a stern. The mainsail shook itself and tightened as it was hauled aloft. The ships went out. Then the mizzen. 
And the Scarlet Queen coasted into the morning with the foam at her starboard rail shining whitely and the first reflection of the sun from the sky. Reporting to the bridge, sir. Is everything to your liking? Aloft and below? What's gotten into you, Red? You spend your time reading sea stories or something in Darwin? <laughs> no, just feeling fit and hearty, Skipper. Glad to be aboard. I ran head-on into a situation. A woman, Red? Yeah. Oh, a lot of good home cooking and stuff, but she wanted me to settle down and share a property. An estate, Red? Yeah, a little truck farm. Huh? Yeah, well, I guess it might not be bad for a while. Evenings on the veranda and all that. Did she have a cat, Red? Yeah, a little white alley cat. And she thought you were crazy for leaving and you told her it was nothing personal, huh? Yeah, she... How'd you know all that? Women, Red. They're never happy till they got a guy lashed down someplace. Yeah, imagine spending all your life walking on a floor that never rolls your pitches, huh? Ah, oh, Skipper, I guess we got the right kind of woman. Wooden and lively. <laughs> Here, Skipper, to the queen, to the scarlet queen. After you, mate. After you. entry. The catch, Scarlet Queen. 5.30 p.m. Wind fresh, sky fair. Sea calm with long cross swell. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney. Master. Mutual invites you to sail into further adventure on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen next week at the same time. That's the Relic Radio Show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find more from Frontier Gentlemen, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, past episodes of this podcast, and all the others at relicradio.com. You'll also find our shoutcast stream there and our donate button if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows. It's how all of this is made possible. Thanks, as always, to those who have. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Tuesday with another hour of the Relic Radio Show.